Welcome to the Let's Talk Money and More podcast with me, Leslie Thomas. The aim of the podcast is to get us all talking about money more. Talking about money is still considered to be a taboo. We don't talk about money enough. Women don't talk about money enough. And that needs to stop. In this podcast, my guests and I talk about money, mindset, and how to turn around limiting beliefs, allowing you to develop a healthy, wealthy money mindset. Our relationship with money doesn't just affect our finances, but impacts every aspect of our business. And most of all, our own sense of self-value and self-worth. By mastering your mindset, you can in turn master the money you make in your business. Welcome to the latest episode of the Let's Talk Money and More podcast with me, Leslie Thomas. This week is a guest episode, and I'm really looking forward to introducing you to Nikki Stock. Nikki is a multi-award-winning business strategist who specializes in helping her clients create a profitable business they love that works with the life they live without the overwhelm and stress, essentially business by design. Until 2010, Nikki was the sole distributor for Banana Boat Suncare in the UK and built a £6 million brand and won an award from NatWest for her cause-related marketing campaign for Marie Curie Cancer Care. After the untimely death of her life and business partner in 2012, and recovering from her own critical illness, Nikki single-handedly remodelled a loss-making business they had just bought out of administration and grew into a £1.2 million turnover in just over a year and subsequently sold it. Since then, Nikki has solely worked as a mentor and strategist for entrepreneurs She is driven to enable entrepreneurs to have the ultimate work-life balance and she is working towards launching Smarter Networking for solo entrepreneurs as well as her group mentoring program using her signature accountability in action formula. Welcome to the podcast, Nikki. It's absolutely fantastic to have you on. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm really pleased to be here. I'm a big fan of the podcast, so delighted to have been invited. Thank you. So I'm going to ask you the same question I ask all my guests. What's your money story? Wow, it's a good question, isn't it? What's my money story? I suppose we have to go back to our upbringing to start off with. Um, and I was brought up in a very, um, certainly not an affluent lifestyle, Um Three bedroom semi detached in in an Essex in county town of Essex. My parents were very much um, if you haven't got it, you can't have it. So there was always that um, we we were from a very early age. We were taught the value of money and um, and earning earning your money. Um, my dad used to work extra hours if I need. I remember my mum saying to me she wanted to buy me a red coat on Christmas that was in Bolingbroke and Wenleys in um, a department store in Chelmsford. And um, she, my dad did extra work in, in addition to his normal job to get the money to buy me this red coat. So, yeah, from a very young age, I was always taught the value of money and given pocket money for doing jobs. 
And how did it feel getting that coat? Did you appreciate that coat in the way that it was generated for you? I probably didn't at the time because I was quite young. You know, I was probably only four or five years old. So it was just a new coat. But when my mum told me the story later on, then I appreciated it more because I thought, oh, God, you know, that's why he'd go out on a Saturday and not be there. It wasn't because he didn't want to be with us. It was because he was earning a little bit more money to pay for the things that mum wanted to get for us. And did you find your parents spoke openly about money? No, I think it was, you know, it's very much a generational thing. And um, I think it was difficult because we had very wealthy um Mum had very wealthy cousins and sort of the, the social scene that they inhabited. I always felt they were on the back foot a bit. So I um, wasn't trying to keep up with the Joneses, but they, they didn't really talk about money openly or didn't really make it known that they didn't perhaps have as much as they would like. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so, yeah. But um, it was very, it was impressed on us from a very early age that, you know, you work hard, you save. And um, it was never about money will buy you happiness. It was about you just want to have enough not to be in debt. Debt was not something my parents would ever entertain. No, mine were the same. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, we didn't go on holiday. We didn't go on a, um, we had holidays every year. But it was the Pontins holiday camp down in Weymouth or Devon or Cornwall. Um, and I don't think I went on a plane till I was 17, which we is, followed, you know. Yeah, we followed a very, very similar track because we never went abroad when I was younger. We always went to Butlins in Portheli every yeah. August. Um Partly because my mum has never particularly liked going abroad, but I think, you know, it, it, it did come down to money as well, absolutely. And I think I was I went on an exchange, a school exchange when I was 16 and the first plane when I was 19. So I think we followed a very, very similar track yeah. in that basis. And I think it kind of, you know, and I, I always wanted to travel. So, and I had lots of friends that were, they were going skiing and they were doing all these amazing things. And I know, don't get me wrong, we had a lovely, a fantastic childhood and we never wanted for anything, yeah. never wanted for anything. And, and as my parents got older and that they, they did have more money, they traveled a lot in their later life. But certainly when we were little, it wasn't an option. But then for me, I think that, in the back of my head, I always thought, well, I'm going to I'm going to show my children the world and we're going to travel from a you know, very early age. I mean, both mine were on a plane at six months old. Yeah. So, it, it, yeah, it, it's 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 interesting how you, you kick against that in some respect. Yeah, absolutely. I can remember saying to my youngest son, he's 14 now, the first plane trip he went on was when he was 18 months and we went business class to Barbados. And I said, just imagine if your life continues in this vein, it won't be, you'll be aiming for first class rather than business class. But because of that experience, he has always had this kind of attitude of, of gratitude that he's been lucky to experience and, and do the things he's done far younger than, than I did them. And I think as a parent, that's what we want for our children, isn't it? To be able to experience a childhood which was different to ours, like you, didn't I did not want for anything. I had no awareness of, of money really when I was a child at all. It was just something that that happened. I always had what I wanted at Christmas, birthdays, 
food on the table, et cetera, et cetera. But I think once you become aware that there is more you can do, you do have that desire, don't you, for to be able to give your children those experiences? I, th- I think you do, but I think that only comes when you're at that age, because certainly when I, um, you know, my first job was very glamorous. Um, when I was 14 years old, I worked in the fish and chip shop um, on our estate. And the reason I worked at the fish and chip shop was because if I'd worked in um, Freeman Hardy Willis, the shoe shop on a Saturday, I would have earned seven pounds. But because I worked in the fish and chip shop, I had two evening um, shifts, Monday evening and a Thursday evening and a Friday late night. And I earned 16 pounds a week which back in the day yeah. was a it's lot a nice of, money. Amount of money. It was a nice exactly. amount of money. And yeah. all of a sudden I could go and buy all the clothes I wanted. So I was very, very financially independent from my parents from quite a young age. Um, and then when I uh, I, went, I, I went to college and I, I had a place to study law, and, and then, you know, you know what your parents are like, oh, she's going to be a lawyer. She's going to be wealthy. She's going to have this amazing life. Um, but for me, it was, oh, my God, that's seven years of my life. I want to travel. So, you know, being being me, me being me, I just said, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to defer and I'm going to go and work and I'm going to earn some money and I'm going to go traveling. And I never came back and did the law degree. And do you regret that? Sometimes when I'm watching uh, something on the telly, I'm thinking, oh, I could have done that. I, you know, I could have been the crown prosecutor. No, I don't, because I think, you know, um, the path we, we are, you know, I think our paths in some respects are predefined. Mm. And I think if if I'd have gone down that route, I probably wouldn't have met my late partner. We probably wouldn't have had the success that we had together. Um, and I think my life would have been very, very different. And although my life hasn't panned out how I would have wished, mm-hmm. um, I certainly feel that had I've gone down that path, no, it wouldn't definitely yeah. wouldn't have, wouldn't have been right for me at the time. I needed to travel, yeah, um, and so I did. You know, I, I just went off to Portugal, didn't have a job to go to, didn't have any idea what I was going to do. Thought I'd be away for six months, um, and was actually away for four and a half years. <laughs> so. Uh, and, that's and, and testament do you enjoy it you know that's testament to how much you got out of that experience yeah yeah and I but I always make you know but people said how do you do survive and I said well you know I picked jobs where I would earn good money in a short period of time so um for example I, I'm not proud of this but I used to sell timeshare <laughs> Well, like, you know, some people have had a great amount of joy from their timeshare so exactly you know, yeah. so you know um I wasn't one of those people on the streets. I was up, up selling and I used to work for nine months of the year. And then that enabled me to travel for three. Yes. So a life you, by your design. Yeah. yeah. And, and I and that's what has always been my um even now with my business, I always talk about creating a business you love that works with the life you live. It's I've always been one of these people that designs my life. And so for me, money has always been the thing that enables me to design my life. And create a life that works around me and my family or whatever I'm doing at the time. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah. No, I, so, sorry, carry on. Sorry. Yeah. So, so you know, um, for four and a half years traveling, it gives you um, a real perspective on 
life on businesses. Uh, you know, I was in India. I worked for Mother Teresa in the home for the dying and the destitute. So you 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 see people at absolute rock bottom. And then I was in India and I got picked up walking down the street by a Bollywood star and invited to his film premiere. So you go from one extreme to the other, but it gives you a real appreciation of how life can change, you know, just by circumstances, not necessarily by design. Um, and then I came back to the UK um, because I woke up one day in America and thought, you know, I've got, I've got to go home and get a proper job. You know, Isn't suddenly- it funny? We, ha- we do have these awakenings. You know, some something goes on somewhere. A conversation take part takes part in part of our brain, and suddenly we go switch. Right, I now need to go and do that. And and it, and it, and you know, I've I've always done that. I've always had this switch in my head. So this poor guy that I was traveling with, my boyfriend of three years. You know, imagine waking up in Florida. And you're you're supposed to be going. Uh, we were supposed to be going to um, the Grand Canyon, and him waking up, me standing there with my return ticket, my open return ticket, saying, "I've just booked a ticket to go home." Why? Yeah, I think I'm going to go and get a job now. And and he's like, "You don't need to go and get a job now." I said, "No, I do. I do. I feel I need to go and get a job." Um, you know, literally phoned my mum and said, "Pick me up from Gatwick on this flight." I'm coming home. Yeah, she hadn't heard from me for months, and it's like, oh God, she's back again. What yeah. does she, you know, how long is she going to be back for this time? So, um, yeah, I came home and got a proper job. And what do you think was your motivation for doing that? What was it that you know you woke up one morning and rather than continuing the travelling, you decided well, actually I'm going to go home now and I'm going to get a proper job? I think because probably in the back of my head, I you know my pet, my my grandmother had died whilst I was away, and I had to fly home for her funeral, and um, I, I kind of saw other people creating, you know, having a career, and and there was always that thing. I I, I tell you what it was, it was parents' evening, and um, I remember my maths teacher, my dad told me this a few years ago. He said, I went to parents' evening, and I'd really been struggling with my maths. Um, O level, and um, my dad and mum went along, and, and my teacher said to uh, Mr. Smith, his name was. My teacher said to him, "Mr. Stock, you do not need to worry about Nicola's maths. I can assure you that one day she will make more money than you ever have." And that, and my and my dad said that to me. And of course, yeah. when we then had the really successful business that we had, he reminded me of that, and he said, "So you know," and I think that was in the back of my head all the time, thinking. You know, Mr. Smith said I could do something really amazing, and I'm and I'm sitting in a um, cheap motel in Florida <laughs> with my backpack, thinking mm, this is not quite what I had in mind. Yeah, yeah. And how did you feel when your dad told you that? I was. Um, I said, God. I said, I said, I can't remember. I can't believe you remembered that. And he said, because he said you did it. He said, mm. you did do that. And, you know, you, you, you call it my late partner. He said, you had that amazing business. And, um, you know, and he said, I'm really proud of you. Just must be yeah. lovely to have heard as well for him to say yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. He said, I'm yeah. really proud of you. You know, you, you've um, achieved far more than, than we have. And that's great. You know, yeah. we, we, we love to see that you and the family are settled and you, you have a nice life and a nice house and all the things that they would aspire to, that you aspire to for your own children. Yeah. I kind of, you know, even though I didn't didn't do the law thing and, you know, didn't ever get married. I think, you know, he, he always wanted me to get married and didn't ever get married. But other than that, I think, you know, 
I've you exceeded with. expectations. Yes. Yeah. 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 And talk to me about so what happened from when you got home, you decided you wanted a proper job to yeah. the business <laughs> that you established with Colin. Yeah. So um yeah, I came home and I got obviously got lots of sales experience from doing timeshare. I was always selling, I was always hustling for want of a better word. And I just walked into a job um, with Booper. And I was area sales manager for Booper, but for business um, health insurance. So I sold yeah health insurance to corporates. And I did that for a couple of years. And I met Colin um, just before I started work at Booper. I was temping for um, a sales and marketing company. And um, I was temping for the managing director. And the managing director called me into his office one day and he said, oh, um, the sales director's coming back from holiday this week. I'd only been there two weeks. And I said, okay. And he said, um, and he hasn't got a PA at the moment. So I need you to step in and look after him. And I said, great. And he said, um, but I'm just going to tell you now, I don't condone into office relationships. Well, that's like a red rag to a bull, isn't it? If someone tells you not to do something, you think, and I think <laughs> you I want to do it. Yeah. yeah. And I said to him, well, I'm, I'm not, I'm not thinking of that. And he said, believe me, you will. And of course, I'm sitting at my desk and this blonde, bronzed Adonis kind of walked by wafting God knows what aftershave it was at the time and I turned around to the other PA and I went who's that and she went that's the sales director <laughs> that was Colin and that was Colin <laughs> and, and 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 the rest was history so um I, I got a job at Booper was Booper a couple of years and then I decided I needed to move on so I, I started to work for um well Thomas Cook travel management um and that's where I kind of realized that I was quite good at influencing people to think the way I thought or buy things off me. So I was um, sales manager for Thomas Cook and looked after accounts like General Motors, Goldman Sachs, and we would basically sell their, their travel for them, sort out all their route deals, you know, deal with all the airlines. My accounts were normally around about the 10 million putt mark. So that's what I was, I yeah. was always selling. And and I, you know, loved it, absolutely loved it. Um, then woke up one day, like I do, and said to Colin, I think we've been together a couple of years and um, we just bought the house we're in now, Lansdowne House. And I said to him, oh, God, I'm really sorry. He said, what? I said, um, I forgot to have a baby. And we'd agreed, you know, when I met him, he was 11 years older than me. And he said, you know, um, I don't want to get married again. And I definitely don't want children. And, you know, he had a whole list of things that he definitely didn't want to do. And I was like, mm, yeah, but I really need to have a baby. Oh, yeah. Oh. And he said, can I think about it? And I said, yeah, of course you can. Um, he said, what happens if I say no? And I said, well, I might have to go and find somebody else. Not, not, that I was, not, no. not, not that I was putting a gun to her head. Anyway, I had the baby babies and had a couple of years off work um and knew in you know instinctively that I didn't want to go back to work and be in that um in that environment where I was always going to have to be making a choice yeah so when I did my first return to work interview with which was then American Express because they got taken over during my um, maternity leave I'm sitting there with my three-month-old baby on my lap and they're saying well, we've amalgamated and we've done this. So we thought you'd like to work in Europe. I'm like, okay, mm. what does that mean? Yeah. You know, and the logic was, well, you live near Stansted Airport and you're only an hour from Luton. So you'll be able to get out there really easily. 
as I hold my three-month-old baby up in front of them and say, and what are we going to do with her? Yeah. So um, I negotiated my exit and um, sort of sat at home for about a year thinking, what am I going to do? And at the time, Colin was working for a broker's and this broker, they they were in the FMG, FMCG space. So they would bring brands in from all over the world and put them into the major multiples. And they had this particular client who came to them who had three or four brands. And one of the brands they had was Banana Boat Suncare. And they wanted to introduce it to the UK market. And all they'd done was put it with a little distributor on the coastal resorts down in Devon and Cornwall. Mm-hmm. So it was turning over about 75,000 and they really wanted to, to sort of penetrate the UK market. And the company that Colin was working for, they didn't have enough resource in the sales team at the time to do it. And so he, him being him, just said, oh, Nikki will do that. She'll do it. She'll, be, she'll, she'll do it. She'll be brilliant at it. And he came home and said, oh, got your job three days a week if you want. You can play with this brand for us. So I said, well, I'm not going to play with it. I'm going to, you know, try and do you something with it. With it. Yeah. So I went in, had a chat with the um, chief exec at the time, and he said, "What, you know, what do you want to do?" And I said, three days a week. Leave it with me." Anyway, um, I, I started work on the brand, and just as we started work, um, the company that had it, the brokers, went into administration. Oh. So we, there was frantic phone calls going back and forth to Amer- from America to us. It was an American brand saying. Do you two want to just pick up the brand and run with it and see what you can do over the next year? And so we were like, yep, we can get an office. We can get an accountant. We need to get warehousing and distribution because the stock was all in a warehouse that was just about to be seized by the administrator. Oh, my goodness. So it was literally uh, Time of the essence. 72 hours of just getting everything out. And um, I had a meeting with Tesco's the week after. And um, new Suncare buyer who who wanted to obviously make its mark, and I, I ended up having probably one of the biggest new listings in there. So literally fifteen SKUs, seasonal aisle, straight in, fantastic. And then we literally spent nine years building that brand up from seventy five thousand to six and a half million. Wow! Wait. Between the two of us, yeah. Um, just yet, yeah, we we knew we knew where the the line across the office was. So I was creative corner, you know. And if you walk, you could easily tell who's who sat where because if you look at my side of the office, it's just full of paperwork and, um, yeah, a complete mess. And you looked at his side of his office, and the ruler was laid up out at the end of the day, and the pens were all in the line, and the stapler was there, and it was all very you neat know, and tidy, neat and tidy, yeah. Mister. Lu- finance and logistics it also did the sales but was very much that side of it whereas I was very much the um oh let's go and sell it to so-and-so let's put some pack you know let's do this that and the other and we were you know we we had a very lovely business from that and we had a very lovely income from that and uh, from that we had a very lovely lifestyle Mm. so you know as you know I'm a great skier yeah and you know our kids went skiing from the age of four you know we skied two or three times a year yeah um and and i suppose looking back now i perhaps we were a little bit frivolous with the money but we made that conscious decision that we wanted to work hard and play hard and create but, those memories and create those memories yeah. but not at the cost of our relationship with our children so there was never once when one of us wasn't at the school gates at half past yeah. 3 
And my kids even say that now. Yeah. They'll say, we didn't realize how lucky we were yeah. that you were there yeah. until they spoke to their friends and they weren't. Or, they, yeah. you know, we didn't realize how lucky we were to go skiing every year yeah. because that's what they knew. And it was that only was their when, normal. <laughs> when they went out, yeah. they, they didn't realize. Yeah. So, um, you know, yeah, it, it, it was good for us. And, and then, unfortunately, um, the brand or the, the parent company got sold to another major company and that it was all absorbed and um we were given three months notice that we were no longer going to be the distributor and we had all our eggs in that basket oh my so how did that impact you it was massive because all of a sudden you know we're looking at um six figure income for the two of us to i think nothing um and i, and I suppose you could say well that was very naive of you and very silly to have all your eggs in one basket, but we would not have had the time yeah. to, to do another brand, not unless we expanded. And we like to keep things small. We like to be totally on it. You know, we were very involved. It was our brand. It wasn't yeah. really the parent. It was our brand. We, we did it. So that was a bit of a stressful time. And um, there was a little bit of um, legal stuff going on, but we, we won, which was great. So that gave us some money to live off of. And um I had an online shop. I did have a side gig at the time. So I had an online shop and I was also consulting in the baby industry, bringing brands over from Europe into uh, the UK and baby. So I had a little bit ticking over. Um, but Colin didn't really have anything on the horizon. And um, I thought he was having an affair because he started to be very subversive and, and sort of it was these quiet phone calls and going out at really odd times of the day and not telling me where he was going. And I was thinking, what's going on? You know, all the stress of losing the business, what's going on? And then he came one morning, he said, right, he said, what are you doing today? And I said, well, what are you doing today? And he said, I've got something to show you. So we got in a car and we drove across, I live in Cambridgeshire, we drove to Northampton and he took me to an industrial estate and got out of the car and kind of just said, ta-da, and stood in front of this massive industrial unit. And I'm thinking, why are you tadaring me? What are we tadaring at? You know? <laughs> yeah, what am I looking at? <laughs> what am I looking at? All I could see was this sort of derelict building. He goes, We have just bought this business out of administration. And I was like, Have we? Oh, that's exciting. What is it? He said, well, I didn't want to tell you because you wouldn't want to do it. So I said, probably, probably not. And we bought a um pet food supply kind of wholesale business out of administration. And the plan was that we were going to, it was mainly wholesale. Mm. And the plan was we were going to turn it into retail as well. And then once we'd worked out the model and how it was going to work, we were then going to start creating, they were like mini pets at home or country stores. You yeah, know that kind I know. of thing? Yeah, I know. So we were then going to create maybe six or seven of them across East Anglia, put a manager in each of them, and then that would be our retirement plan and yeah. we would just skim off the top. So that that was the plan. And I kind of, although I wasn't particularly on board with it, because, you know, what I know about pigeons, you could write on the back of a postage stamp. And, so, yeah. yeah, but we had a lot of pigeon, a lot yeah. of pigeon customers. Um, that's a whole new episode. Um, if you ever want to know about uh, pigeon fanciers of Northampton, <laughs> I'm your girl. Um, so, yeah, we bought this business and it, and it was going great and, and it was beginning to you know, turnover, where we, what we wanted to do. We had, you know, as you know, I'm a strategist and, and I was, was putting the strategies in place as to how we were going to turn this business around and how it was going to work. And then um, 
Colin had to go into hospital in the October to have some um, surgery because he'd done his rotator cuff skiing, as you do. And as he was coming out of, of recovery and, and I went to visit him, I noticed there was a lump on his neck. And I said, oh, you got a lump on your neck? And he was like, oh, you know, they've, they've had to dig in there. They've gone in really deep. I'm sure it's something to do with it. And I thought, mm, I'm not happy about that. Anyway, long story short, um, just after Christmas, he was diagnosed with a rare blood cancer. Oh. And it's called mantle cell lymphoma. There's only about 5,000 cases in the world. Ironically, if he had it now, he'd probably still be with us because the treatments have Advanced. moved on. And, yeah. uh, you know, immunotherapy is, is one thing. So um, we then had a situation where he was very, very, very ill. He was having chemotherapy five out of seven days in a week by IV, not even going in for a day, but five yeah. days, and then coming home and being very, very ill at home. And we'd have maybe one week in four where he could function. So we just had to leave the business ticking over. We had a manager in there and we were just kind of keeping an eye on it, but we certainly couldn't do any growth. Were you really involved? Yeah. No, no. Um, and then fast forward to February 2012, I decided he, he'd been in remission. He'd fallen out of remission. He was back having chemotherapy. And then in February 2012, I decided to join the critically ill party and ended up um in Patworth Hospital in, in Cambridge on ECMO life support in a coma for two weeks with pneumonia and multiple, multiple infections. Um, died twice, which is another story, yeah. <laughs> uh, really poorly. Um, and, yeah, it, it was a really tough time. You know, the kids kids didn't know what was happening. And, again, the, the, you know, the money story comes back again because um, he didn't – I used to handle our money. Mm. So he didn't know about topping up my son's finger for cashless catering or that I moved money every month into the hole in the wall account and he'd be going there and there'd be no money coming out and yeah. nobody knew how to get it. So I'm very passionate now mate, about the big red bus policy and making sure that if you are out of your business, somebody can run it or out of your life, somebody yeah. can run it. Yeah. Anyway, very long story short, I came out of hospital at the end of March and Colin died 10 weeks later. Oh, my goodness. <clears throat> so you can imagine I'm six and a half stone, um, very, very weak. Um, and I've got a business where I have five members of staff who are relying on me to keep things going. Them, yeah. Get things going. So I yeah. was literally back over at the warehouse the day after he died saying, he's died. I'm in charge. Not quite sure what I'm doing, but we'll, you know, we'll we'll we'll, we'll sort it out. And yeah. um, and then for the for the year year and a half afterwards, I was literally working six days a week, dragging my son over there, following the strategy I put in place to get the business to a level where I could sell it. Yeah, which I did. So I, I took it up to uh, about just over, I think it's about one point six million, and then sold it to a supplier, which was great. Um, nice exit strategy, negotiated a deferred consideration, which meant I could then spend a year staring into space and thinking what I was going to do yeah. next. But in terms of what it did with, with the money, you know, I've gone, I've been hugely successful and had, as I say, six figure salary to not having any money mm. because we, you know, we, we couldn't take anything out of the business. It was taken away from you. Because we turned, you know, and we 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 turned, you know, we bought this business out of administration on the understanding that we probably wouldn't take a salary out of it for a couple of years. So that was okay. But yeah. then we weren't planning on somebody being ill 
And, you know, using the critical illness payout was what we lived on yeah. for a couple of years. And then, you know, the other thing is, and this is for anyone who listens to this, I'm going to say it very clearly, no ring, no rights, absolutely no rights at all. So you won't get your, if your partner dies, you won't get their pension. You'll get a lump sum, but you won't get their pension. Yeah. And some of them may give your your child a small amount until they're 18, but then that goes. You won't get your state pension. The money that he's paid in for years and years and years and years dies with him. So there's no money. Yeah. There's no money coming your way. Um, And so I had nothing and I had a quarter of a million pound mortgage. And now for a short break. Are you ready to embark on a transformative journey that'll help you unleash your full potential? and break free from limiting beliefs about money. Discover the power of consistent daily action for setting the foundation for your financial transformation. Introducing the 30-day Boost Your Money Confidence Experience, the start of your journey to mastering your relationship with money. Elevate your money confidence with daily emailed action prompts each building on the previous day and emerge with transformed thoughts, feelings and actions around money. Click the link in the show notes for full details. Now back to the show. And that, you know, that, that is, you know, as you say, the word of warning that people need to take, you know, listening to this is that it is important to legally protect your loved ones in whatever way you need to legally protect them, because the law can work in your favor, but equally it can work against you if you are not understanding of the situation you're in and look to take advice on making that situation the best it can possibly be. And, you know, we thought common law was good enough and um, we had no idea that, you know, his his old company pensions would not recognise me as his spouse. Yeah. You know, we never had a burning desire to get married. We never, you know, but I'll tell you now, if anyone wants to put a ring on my finger, I'll be yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, I'm not going to go through that again. Yeah. Um, but what what that does to you? So financially, you're suddenly thinking, "Oh my God, I've got this mortgage. I've got my kids were seventeen and fifteen, just about to go off to uni, so I've got to pay for them to go through uni. Um, I'm going to have to I'm going to have to find another way to make money yeah. and start again. So what um, did you do? So that's what I did. Yeah, I I I, I knew I was still had a bit a couple of well, I actually got a job <laughs> for nine days. I actually got a job. Um, I can't even sort of really talk about it in case I listen to it, but I, I lasted nine days because it was European sales director, um, again, in sort of FMCG, but they wanted to micromanage me and I am not a person to be micromanaged. Yeah. So nine days and I was out, which wasn't my finest hour, I have to say. It's not something I'm particularly proud of and it's not on my CV or on my LinkedIn. You'll, you won't find it anywhere. Um, but I always knew that I was good at sales. I was good at marketing. I was good at strategy. Um, so I bought a franchise. I bought a marketing franchise and I did that for a couple of years, but realized I would be better off just doing it myself. Yeah. Um, and I also accidentally, things often happen to me accidentally, I accidentally bought a networking franchise. <laughs> 
<laughs> How do you accidentally do that? Just so we can all be aware that it doesn't happen to us. Yeah, no, <laughs> if we don't want it to. <laughs> well, you, you, you kind of, you, somebody says, oh, you should go to this network. And like, oh, I can't be asked. Sorry, but, you know, I, I really can't be bothered with this. Uh, no. And they said, but you, you really should go. I think this, this lady really wants to meet you. So you get dragged along to a networking group and you go along and you kind of think it's all right. And then a lot of the people in the networking group get in touch with you and say, Oh, you know, you're really, you're really good. You're really interesting. Really like what you had to say. Are you going to join? I'm like, absolutely not. No, I haven't got time. Don't need to do it. I'm busy. But the lady who had the franchise um, was her husband was unwell, so obviously that resonated with me. And she and she was actually desperate to sell it. She was just desperate. So I just need somebody, somebody that can just come in and pick it up and take it over and run with it. And, you know, you can have it, you know, you can have it for very little money. And and it was very little money. And I, in, or every bone in my body was going, do not buy this. You don't want to do this. It's not your thing. You know what you're doing. And me being um, a bit of a nurturer and a rescuer and an empath is going, I'll buy it. And as I'm saying, I'll buy it. I'm thinking, don't buy Why? it. Why? Yeah. Why would you do that? <laughs> anyway, I bought it. And then I ended up with seven groups across East Anglia and over 100 and something members. And I did it for seven years. Yeah. And did you enjoy doing it? I loved it. I loved yeah. it at the time. I loved it at the time. And I'm not saying that I'm not going to go back to networking again. But I think um, it's all about coming back to what I was talking about before, designing your life. Yeah. And for me, having a very, very big understanding of how short our lives are and realising that we cannot, you know, we go to bed every night not knowing what tomorrow will bring. Mm. You know, we can have a plan, but actually the plan is there is no plan because we don't know what's going to be thrown at us. So my thing now is about designing my life and creating a life that works around what I want to do and the way I want to live. Um, and as you know, I, I have a property in Spain now yeah. as well. So I have to be mindful of my time and, and how, I'm, how I'm spending it. So, yeah, that's, that's why I, I moved away from that because I didn't need, I didn't want to have to be somewhere at the same time every month yeah. doing the same thing. Yeah, I can understand that. I, I don't, I don't um, deal with rigidity and schedule particularly well. I like, I, you know, I like, I like to have you know a bit of a game plan that I'm working to in terms of my working week, my schedule, etc. But I don't necessarily like. Well, on Monday every week at four, you're going to be doing this. On Wednesday every week at two, you're going to do that. I find that very restrictive and I think for me that was spending 20 years in corporate life where you had to have that rigidity basically yeah and it, and it and, you know so I've been I worked out the other day I've actually been self-employed for 23 years yeah and no I don't regret it yeah I, I really don't regret it and yes you know um I wish things had turned out differently but we can't change that but all, so all we do is we we take what we know and and we work with it so you know, um, I've been mentoring and strategizing. That's what I do uh, most of the time, um, mainly with women, although I've started working with men again recently. So that's a whole new um, ball game and yeah. loving it, loving it. They seem they seem to be far, far better at getting things done, <laughs> dare I say, but they do. You, you said, you oh, so we're going to do this. And then they text you the next day and say I've done it already and you think oh my goodness that's amazing well done um so yeah that that that's what I like to do now you know um predominantly strategy and mentoring um 
is is where I see myself and where where I intend to be for the future. Yeah, with some smarter networking thrown in. Yeah, and I think I think that's the thing, isn't it? We go through life and we get a, a much bigger appreciation of who we are and what we want to do, and get more put more effective boundaries in place for ourselves, so we don't have that boundary creep of saying. Yes, okay, I'll do that. When we're thinking, why did I say yes to that? I don't want to do that. And I know now, work-wise, I am much more strategic about what I do and a lot more intentional. And I find that works for me far more effectively than just go, I'll give it a go. I'll, I'll, I'll see if it works. I want to kind of go in there with a bit more of a plan with regards to my overall master plan, basically. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's the key. It's about being flexible enough, but without saying yes to everything, you know, it, yeah. because otherwise you're just going to put yourself into a state of overwhelm. Absolutely. And, stress, and that's not going to be good for you either. No, I totally agree. So what's next for you? What's next for me? Um, I'm just going to keep on doing what I'm doing actually. So, uh, yes. Uh, the mentoring and, and the strategy is where I where I see myself. So you can work with me one to one. I predominant. I do do the odd group program, but I like one to one because mm-hmm. everybody is everyone's business is so unique. Everyone has their own way of approaching things, and and I think when you work one to one, you get far more out of your your clients. Certainly gets far more out of it, and I get far more out of it because I get really. Down, I would say down and dirty with their business, but I get right into their business and I treat it like my own business yeah. and we work together. We work together and alongside each other. It's, people will say, sometimes people introduce me and they say, oh, this is Nikki, she's a coach. And straight away I say, I'm not a coach. Yeah. I'm not I'll tell coach. you what to do. I won't coach you what to do. Yeah, you know, yeah. I'm not going to coach you, you know, yeah. and I'll work alongside you and I'll be yeah. a sounding board and I'll be all these things, but I'm not a coach. Yeah. So I'm going, I'm going to be doing that. And um, I am launching um, Smarter Networking in, in the autumn. And the only reason it's in the autumn is because Spain is calling and nobody really wants to do networking. Um, but Smarter Networking isn't networking as we know it because there are no – it's not – elevator pitches there's no elevator pitches it is purely for solo entrepreneurs because there's lots of networks out there for people who are in big corporates and everything else but for solo entrepreneurs we have different needs and wants yeah um, and even if we're starting to scale our business, we want to talk to other people that are in the same space and they're, you know, they're, they're just about to do things. So smarter networking is all about meaningful conversations with people at the same stage of, of business as you are. It's not um, open to anybody. It is curated. It is by application because I want to make the groups. I just want the, I'm very good at putting people together. Yeah. You know, um, so my worst nightmare is walking into a free-for-all networking thing because I just yeah. know there's going to be people there. It's going to be people that I'm going to be interested in, but it's other people that I think, you know what, this isn't my tribe. This yeah. isn't where I want to operate. This isn't where I want to be. So I think by curating things very, very carefully, you can create a much better outcome for everybody yeah. who's in that group. Yeah. So that will be launching in September and it will be online and national, but we will have – live in-person events as well so yeah. socials lunches and dinners 
throughout the year. So it's going to be the best of both worlds. Yeah. And I think people have come to appreciate, haven't they, that that hybrid world. So it's not yeah. all online and it's not all offline. To have that mix of both allows you to have that flexibility, but also to be able to have that proper connection, which for many of us, we didn't actually realise we needed because we took it for granted prior to the pandemic. And it's only been post the pandemic have we actually realised we have, we do thrive when we properly physically connect with people, can see their, you know, the, the whites of their eyes yeah. properly as opposed to over Zoom or Teams or whatever it might be. Yeah, yeah. I agree. But then the, the I think the benefit, if, if there was a benefit of the pandemic and, and everything else was we realised that we can also network online. Yeah, definitely. And from a time point of view, if 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 like me, I'm I'm only working four days a week, so I'm a little bit more time poor. For me to go to a network and it's you know an hour hour and a half drive and a two hour meeting an hour back, that's my day. Whereas if I come down into my office in my pajamas, put my shirt on, press the button, I'm I'm on and off in an hour and a half, and I've still got my the rest of my day to be productive. Yeah, absolutely. So I think for me personally, I like the best of both worlds. Oh, me. You know, yeah. I love I love meeting people. I mean, we met in person for the first time at the event the other week. So I love meeting people yeah. online, love meeting them face to face. That works for me. Yeah, I agree. No, I totally agree. I I could not go back, I think, to it being one or the other. I I'm very grateful for the pandemic because you you've got to see the gratitude, you know, in things. I'm very grateful that the pandemic gave everybody the ability to to accept technology far more quickly than they would have done. I am grateful that there are now processes in place to allow you to manage your business online more effectively. You know, even in our property business, the legal system caught up massively with technology because of the pandemic. And particularly in France, where they were antiquated, they were forced to catch up in a way they probably would never have done in their own time if something like the pandemic hadn't forced them to. So I think there is there's definitely advantages, but you also do, as you've said, have to work out what's the best and most effective way of working for you. What is the pattern that's going to allow you to live your life as well as build your income, build your wealth. And when you can do and live a life by your design, I had a, I had a little feeling in my stomach as I said that then, because I think that is it, living a life by our design exactly. doesn't mean it's going to be perfect, doesn't mean it's going to be without challenges, but we are responsible for what happens, the success or, or the opposite of that. And I think for all of us to be able to create that sense of responsibility for our lives, that is hugely empowering. It is. And, and that, you know, that's why I always say whenever I sit down with people, the first question I say to them is, what is your design for life? And they don't know. Yeah. Most people don't know because they haven't thought about it. No. You know, they're just either chasing the money or doing this, doing that and the other. And if we can design our lives and, and you know, just to finish up, somebody said to me the other day, does money buy you happiness? No, it doesn't buy you happiness. It buys you freedom and choice. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and that's you and I appreciate yeah. that. We we choose to live our lives this way. That's what money 
yeah. um, does. And yes, yes, of course, I'd like a little bit more. But whereas before, I was probably chasing it um, because of the fragility of life now. Um, I'm not going to chase it at the expense of my health and my sanity. Yeah, yeah. That's, a perf- that's a perfect way to, to finish things. So how can people connect with you? Just go to my website, www.nickystock.com. Um, and you can see about my mentoring, my networking, and all the other packages that I offer. So, oh, and LinkedIn. That's my, that is my platform of choice. I, as, in terms of social platforms, I love LinkedIn. So you can find me on LinkedIn as well. Perfect. So all those details will be in the show notes so people can easily reach out and connect with you. Thank you. Thank you very much, Nikki. I've loved the conversation. I've loved getting to know you a little bit better. And thank you for your time today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for having thank me. Thank you. Thanks very much for listening to the latest episode of the Let's Talk Money and More podcast. I really hope you enjoyed it. If you would like to better understand your relationship with money, then please head to the resources section on my website, the Money Confidence Academy, and download my monthly money mindset audit. This will allow you to create a benchmark for where your relationship with money is right now and allow you to continue to measure it on a monthly basis as you do the inner work to improve it. You will also find a copy of my Money Archetypes Assessment at the same time, which will allow you to start to really understand which are your three primary money archetypes driving your relationship with money and how to use this information to make, spend, keep and invest more money. Or if you are a female online business owner, why not join my free Money Confidence community over on Facebook? A link to the group and other ways to connect with me can be found in the show notes. Finally, if you have enjoyed listening to the podcast, please do tell others about it. And I would love it if you rated it and gave a review.